Folks, if your financial professional tends to speak in terms of their industry jargon, it can be confusing, but it's important to have clarity, which is why I so recommend Arif Halaby of Total Financial Solutions. My wife Sue and I are Arif's clients because he provided us with such clarity. He is very knowledgeable and capable when it comes to reliable retirement income. Tune into Arif Halaby's show, The Total Financial Hour, Sundays at 11 a.m. on AM 870, The Answer. The information on this show is not intended to be the primary basis for investment decisions and should not be used to provide financial advice. Please obtain the guidance of a financial professional regarding your particular financial concerns. Past performance is not a guarantee of future results. This program reflects the views of Arif Halaby, California Insurance License 0B93792 of TFS Financial Insurance Services. TFS Financial Insurance Services, California Insurance License Number 0F22477, provides retirement income strategies using insurance and annuity products, which are guaranteed by the claims-paying ability of the issuing company. Financial security will help you live the life you dream. Learn about financial power. Hey, welcome to the show, the Total Financial Hour. I'm Yara Fallaby. Thanks for being with me this morning on the Total Financial Hour on AM870 The Answer. Hey, let me give you the number a couple of times here throughout the hour. So grab your pen and paper, triple eight ninety nine retire. Triple eight ninety nine retire. I want to give you a couple of things as we go forward. I'm going to touch on a lot. This is kind of the potpourri show. We're going to get into some pieces and parts uh, of things that I have found pretty important throughout the week. Okay, first of all, I need you to understand, number one, for many of you, you are living on either credit cards, cash advances, or I am seeing this more and more. And the last time I saw this was in 05, 6, 7, before the big crash. And it's people are living on HELOC loans, home equity lines of credit. And a HELOC loan or a home equity line, you know, they say, oh, it's like a credit card. You just pay it, very low interest. You deposit it back. You put it in. You take it out. You can transfer it to your uh, savings, your checking account. So a lot of folks, instead of building their own savings accounts back then, they used the home equity line of credit as a way to, quote, have money available. Okay, what happened in 2008? Clients called and said, Arif, my bank went from a $100,000 home equity line to $20,000, and I owe nineteen on it. So that means my entire emergency system has been shut down by one letter from the bank. So what I recommend is you, you budgeting and planning for the bank credit cards, other institutional credit cards, home equity lines of credit, any place that you think you can borrow money at the drop of a hat. Oh, Eric, if I have an 800 score, that doesn't affect me. That affects those people. Wrong. It's all a financial formula. You having the ability to write a check in three minutes for $100,000 is a liability the bank has to prepare for all the time, meaning on its balance sheet, it has to account for that $100,000 at any minute. They can swipe a credit card. They can call and do a cash advance or a transfer. So those are important things to know because the system is set up for you not to, oh, what's the right word? For you, I guess for you not to understand how, how simple it is for the power and the privilege of that money to be taken from you, right? There's big words, there's layers, there's people with suits and ties, and they all look good, they all sound good, and they'll turn around and they'll snatch that money right from your hand. So here's what I want you to do. Here's what I want you to do. I need you to do a couple of things. Number one, Make sure that you have cash available, emergency, savings accounts, checking accounts, even cash at home, whatever. Because I think that you have to understand that your bank could lower your credit card limit 
And there are a couple of things you can do in case it happens. Sometimes it means nothing. The spending limit on your credit card will suddenly shrink. You're not going to even realize that it's going to happen. So banks are already starting to do this. We're seeing this across the board because they know that you've lost your job. They know that you've lost your, your guarantee. The economy isn't what it was. So even if you had a tenuous job before, well, it doesn't matter. If you quit the way the economy was, you could get another job tomorrow. That's changed, hasn't it? Thinking about this is pretty important. There's a, a company called Synchrony Financial. They back many, many credit cards offered by retailers. A lot of the the Kohl's, the JCPenney's, the Macy's, the Nordstrom's, and I don't know specifically those, but that type. So Synchrony, they're a company that backs credit cards offered by retailers. They have now started taking a closer look across the board. The Targets, right? The, the JCPenney's, the Walmarts, those types of credit cards that are retailer generated, where it says the retailer name on there. So Visa plus the retailer, MasterCard plus the retailer. They're starting to pull the balances. And they're continuing, here's a quote from them, we're continuing to utilize internal and credit bureau triggers to dynamically reevaluate the customer's creditworthiness to manage credit exposure, (laughs) right? And you say, excuse me, but, uh, you know, I make $150,000 a year as an electrician and I'm a pretty darn good one, but I have no clue what you just said. So you have to ask yourself, is this done on purpose? Because they know who has their credit card and they're not speaking to them. It's not a customer conversation. It's big word, big word, I'm smart, you're not. We're legal. I have more lawyers than you do. Try to trick me up. Go ahead. Bottom line is, dynamic means it's changing all the time. They're looking at internal and credit bureau triggers, which means your job, means what's happening with other balances. So they're going to pull your credit report. And if they see you starting to creep up, if they see balances starting to creep up, if they see that there are issues where you normally kept 20 or 30 you know, percent of the credit card, what had a balance, and now all of a sudden you're at 50, 60, 70, they're going to watch you. They're going to watch you. So banks typically reduce a consumer's uh, credit limit to minimize risk. All right. So important that you know that. I think that's a big deal. And we're seeing that across the board with HELOC or home equity lines of credit. People say, oh, when I, when I refinance my house, the, the man said I could have $100,000 home equity line of credit. And it costs me nothing. And if I don't use it, it just sits there. Okay. Now, if you don't need it and you don't use it, then it's irrelevant. No problem. See you later. But if you do use it and, they, they, and you're counting on it and they're going to take that from you, you need to know that so that you don't end up planning a, a vacation or a trip or a remodel thinking that, oh, well, I've already applied for this. I'm great. They're not going to take it from me. The other part of it is the institution themselves. So you might be fine, but the institution themselves has to cut back because they need to supply some of these PPL loans or these EIDL loans or some of these other loans or or gifts or whatever they may have to do. It could affect their formulas. And they say, we just can't have that much debt sitting out there at any one time. Okay. So when we see that, I just want you to, to keep that in mind. What about something like a student loan? Can they pull a student loan at the last minute? I don't think so. Short answer is probably not. Okay, so if you're expecting to attend a college in the fall and you uh, did the dumbest thing I can ever think of, which is borrowing money to go to college, a student loan, well, that's the way it goes. They probably won't pull it. I know a lot of you, in fact, uh, you know, my own mom and I were talking the other day about the... uh, the uh, institutions 
that are requiring you to still pay even if the school has gone out of business. You've heard me talk about the ITT techs and some of the other uh, career college type places that I always said were way overpriced and uh, in my opinion were, I don't know about fraudulently run, that's a little harsh, but something is wrong somewhere, right? They require you to pay all four years. Even if you quit, you change neighbors, uh, uh, majors, tough luck, you have to pay for the next three years even though you decided it's not for you. So so that's cool. That's ITT Tech. They're out of business now. And the Department of Education is requiring students to still pay. Well, my mom thought that was horrible. She said, well, Betsy DeVos is, is not a nice person. Look at what she's doing. And, you know, my mom, I think, is a pretty smart lady. And I, I just thought about it. And I said, okay, well, today, today, you can find out anything about any college. And some of these colleges promised you would get a you would get a, a, a job in your major, super easy. Everybody gets it. We have a ninety eight percent placement rate or ninety seven whatever they play, pledge. Not true. Most of it is baloney. So why that matters is because you've got to go back. Who should be responsible for paying the student loan debt? You know, you're 18 years old. You said you wanted to get a tattoo, smoke, buy uh, uh, weed, uh, get alcohol, right? Join the military, drive your car, middle finger at your mom and dad. You said all of those things, right? You did it. You're 18 and 18 seconds. Well, when you sign your name to a stinking loan, people, you're responsible. Read it. Yeah, but the company didn't deliver. I could have told you that. Since uh, Mr. and Mrs. 18, 19 year old, since you were 10 and you were going online and doing Google searches faster than your own parents, all you had to do was research the same dang dang schools that that, uh, you wanted to go to. We knew that they were, I don't know, questionable at, at best. So I think it's important that you look at this and ask yourself, okay, wait a second. What is the story Who's responsible? Believe it or not, I think the student is. Right? They got they got suckered into the deal that this college was the right one for them. Listen, I get it. They lied. You know what? Sue the school. School uh, sue the the CFO. Sue the president of the college. Sue the the young lady or the young man who was your recruiter. Sue them. Tell them it was fraud. They knew better. You can do that and get your money back. But why should I, in Los Angeles, or somebody else in Des Moines, or Seattle, or Dallas, or Chicago, why should they pay because you didn't do your research on your college? Listen, I think it's horrible. I always tell you, don't get student loans. Right, 15 and a half years on the radio. You can go back to probably my very first month on the radio. And what did I tell you? Don't get a student loan. Why? It's super simple, guys. 70% of the folks don't even work in the, career, in, the, in the field in which they earn their degree. That's a statistic that's been just about unchanged for 25 years. That means you get a degree in English and you work as a marketing person. You get a degree in marketing and you work as a technical engineer of some sort, right? I mean, there's always a change. You know it. Look around. In your family, if you have four people, statistically speaking, probably three are not even working in a field in which they've earned their college degree. Okay? So 
you need to know this because college is not what it used to be. It used to be the harbor of knowledge. Not anymore. Right? I spent last week talking about the dangers of having student loans attached to you as a parent because they can take your social security. They can take your uh, vacation home, your savings accounts, your retirement accounts, if you don't pay. Because President Obama, in his keen and ever-changing wisdom, was smart enough to say, uh, the IRS is now the collection agency. Now, I I use that with the tongue-in-cheek because I want you to know that I don't think it should have ever been the IRS. When it was happening, we said it was a bad thing. We said it was going to lead to turmoil. Right? If you don't pay your student loan, you understand they can take the licensing. If you became a nurse or a doctor, they can pull your license. Contractor, pull your license. Teacher, pull your license. Anything that you were educated with or you have a license that is controlled by any government entity, beautician. You went to school for history major and you decided you wanted to be a cosmetologist or a beautician, so you have a license there and you didn't pay your history because you said you got ripped off or the school was lousy or whatever. Guess what license they pull? They can pull your beautician license. Uh, Do you understand? It's indentured servitude. It's slavery. It's prison, right? The idea is do what we want or else. And you get in your little little uh, narrow lane and you make a left, right, left, right, stop, stand, go quarantine. Come back out, stop, stand, go forward. Oh, don't get too close, <laughs> right? We're six feet and this whole little world starts to, I want you to have freedoms. But you know, if you have freedom to succeed, you also have freedom to fail. And if you pull that from young people, folks, I think you're going to have a problem. Because then I think this, this whole where everybody gets a trophy, go to Prager University. Mike Rowe has an amazing video called Follow Your Passion. We spoke about it with my kids forever. Follow Your Passion. It's Mike Rowe. It's on Prager University. I like it because it will tell you the things that have been missing for so long, which is the ability for people to understand that you are not special just because you exist. Now, in God's eyes, you are. But humanity doesn't care about you. I mean, they don't want to hurt you, but they don't hate you. They don't like you. They don't anything. Remember who said this? The content of your character. Ooh, that's racist speech by Martin Luther King. Right? What do they do today? They, they have black graduations, black dorms, Asian associations, Hispanic associations. I get you can, you can philosophically, psychologically build a story why that's the case. I understand that. You don't understand years of oppression, American Indians, this, and I get it. And the moment they try to debate somebody from, from the, the conservative side or, or just the logical side, when the far left starts to try to debate that conversation, what happens is they just, they can't win. So they just say, uh, they stomp their foot and they say, because, and then they call you a name. You're a stupid head. And they throw their binky at you. <laughs> I don't know the left. They have their things, right? Their cry rooms. You've got to figure out the opportunity and why. You're going to send your child to a place that engenders victimhood. So when they come out, they hate all of the things that you stood for. 
Now, there are, certainly there are colleges that don't do that, universities that are not that way. Very few, hard to find. The Masters University in Santa Clarita, good school. Good school. How about Hillsdale out in Michigan? Good school. Right? You can find universities that have a more centrist approach or even a bit more of a conservative approach just to balance this, the craziness these kids that are learning out on the streets and the media and, and every other place that they look. Okay, so this is important because the college loans will, will bleed over. But here's what I want you to look at. There are some ways for them to still pay for college. Number one is I want you to negotiate. This fall, there are a lot of people that will not be going to school. Now, I hope that this fall is your junior or senior year because your ability to negotiate your junior or senior year, it's a bit more difficult. But they need you because they need you to become an alum. That's why Harvard doesn't charge anymore. But watch, in five years, they're going to come knocking on your door and say, so how's it going, Mr. And Mrs. Lawyer? How's it going, Mr. Social Worker? I think you should start sending us a check because we're the alum association. They're going to kind of start pushing you in that direction. That's why they did it. It's cheaper for them, less expensive for them to pay for school now because they know they can get money from you for 30 years and maybe in your will because you're going to be grateful. But if you had 30 years of student loan payments, you're not grateful. You're not giving Harvard or Yale or any school a penny because every month you're reminded about how much it cost you and you have to write that check. Okay, so that, that's important. You know that. That's the reason so that they can collect money from you later. But you have power now. Negotiate. Just like you can negotiate savings accounts and CD rates at banks, you can negotiate college. Now, the reason I say your second two years is this. If your child or grandchild is going to be going to their first two years, the competition is all of the community colleges that are out there. That's why colleges and universities will give you the first two years, oh, we're going to give you a discount, the president's this, the chairman that. Your daughter is so smart, we're going to give her the uh, chancellor's award. And, you know, you think your kids are amazing. They got the trophy for participating. Everybody, everybody gets that. Everybody gets those monies, those dollars, just about, in one form or another. And that matters if you are, they're trying to keep you there. They're trying to get you committed. They're trying to get you hooked to that university or that college because the first two years you can go to a community college for pennies on the dollar, even free in some cases. And now when you go to a, a, the four-year university and you just earn, earn the last two years uh, of credits to get the degree, what does it say on the diploma? Yeah, the four-year college. So that is why they're so generous the first two years, and then they pull the scholarships from you in the third year because, ha-ha, we got you. There's no place for you to go. Very difficult, especially your senior year. If they give you anything, now listen, not everybody, right? Don't say, oh, my cousin's brother's mother's third nephew. No, 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 I get you. This is what I find in 24 years of practice, and 10,000 people or so have come through my office. I'm telling you my experience. This is what I see. I've sat on the board. I've sat on foundation boards of colleges. I can tell you this is what they do. Now, the last two years, especially the last year, expect to play, pay full freight. If you're on the fringe, you don't have anything special as far as a skill or a, a sporting event that you're great at. Well, 
where are you going to go? College requires you to do a certain amount of credits at their university before they give you the degree. That's it. You're trapped. So if you're attending school this fall, soon as this baby opens up, whatever state it's in, I want you talking, negotiating. I'll be there, but listen, I'm not going to pay this rate. You've got to find money somewhere. Because here's the way it works. In the university system, it starts with, uh, let's say the retail price of the school is $30,000 a year. Okay. What is the actual cost? Because it's just a business. What does it cost for the janitor, the administrators, the electric bill, the lease, and on and on and on? And they do the math. They divide by the amount of students, and that's their cost. They know they're going to make money in student store, in book sales, et cetera. So they've allocated a certain amount of profit that has to come from the tuition. So let's say the tuition is 30000 a year. The truth is it might cost 11000 I think those were the numbers the last that I heard. It's about 11000 for a $30,000 school, about a third. <clears throat> okay. So the rest of it between 30 and 11 is air. That's why they give you those. We're going to give you a $5,000 chairman, chancellor, blue book award, uh, you know, 70, wow, Scooby-Doo 9,000. Here it is. Here's your reward. And people go, oh my gosh, my daughter's the smartest. Look, she got 5,000 off and then 10,000 and 3,000. Rarely will it ever dip below 11. That's why foreign students like Chinese and some Arab students. They don't take Arab students as much as they used to. But Chinese students pay the full 30000 They're like, oh, yeah, here's thirty grand. So that gives them enough profit to let the basketball player or the swimmer or the gymnastics uh, young lady. It allows them to come at a reduced rate or even free. Because there are some forms. So that is why there's such a disproportionate amount. That is why Janet Napolitano is lying. Yes, folks, the big L word. She's hiding. She's covering up. She's lying by omission and lying straight to your face about the amount of money and the profitability and the amount of students that come from China. I mean, you have to look at this, guys. You might say, I don't really care. Junior gets to go to school for free. All right, then that's your values. That's it. You live that way. You die that way. That's your values. No problem. That's your, that's your system, your, your value system. But I don't want you to think that you can't negotiate, especially if it's the first two years. But I really want to pressure you to negotiate the last two. All right. Because this four-year university stuff, uh, you know, room and board, that's a fixed cost. You're going to kind of be stuck there. But tuition is just air. If there's four people in a class or 40 people in a class, how much more does it cost? Nothing, really. It's just part of their formula. How much profit is coming in from the tuition world? How much profit is coming in from the student store, from the cafeteria? Right? They have a whole system. It's, it's just a big business, right? We sell pens. We sell paper. We sell pencils. We sell paper clips. It's the same idea. We need to make a certain amount of money from each product. And today that m- most people have really found, guys, that being able to study at home and to do school from home, uh, there's going to be many of you that go, you know, I can do this. I like this. I like studying at 3 o'clock in the morning. I like taking a class online. I'm much more comfortable with this. I can begin the rest of my life. I'm not worried about uh, the problems that come with, you know, having to be there at a certain time just because. And that makes a lot of us, right? I think the big institutions, I've told you before, I believe somewhere, somewhere, 
in the neighborhood of 20 to 25% are going to be, uh, schools are going to go out of business. Now, I started looking, and what did I see? I'm seeing it happen. Because what I see across the board is many people have started merging their schools. Look, community colleges. Just go online. Right now, I think we have 2016 numbers. And it says uh, all the community colleges, public colleges, private schools, on and on, that have gone out of business or merged. Or the, the school with the endowment. Because that's the only ones that will survive. The only schools that are going to survive at the end of this story are the ones with endowments. And after that, it's tough luck, guys. Look, you might end up in a position where you and I are, are looking at the schools that used to exist and we're saying they're just not here anymore. All right, we've got some more solutions for you. The Total Financial Hour. Give us a call at 888-99-RETIRE. All week long, I'm here also, guys. 888-99-RETIRE. You can get a hold of me. We'll talk about your family's finances. Sometimes it's a video chat. Sometimes you're more comfortable with just a phone call. Uh, We're willing to do that for you, but stay with us when we come back. Life insurance for retirement. Is it necessary and what's the purpose? I have that and a lot more. I'm Eric Hallaby on AM870, The Answer. Security will help you live the life you dream. Learn about financial power. Hey there, welcome to the show. I'm Eric Halby. Thanks for staying with me after the break. I appreciate it. So we talk about your family's finances, of course, getting out of debt, managing money, planning for the future. And sometimes, uh, unfortunately, guys, the future doesn't include you, right? I mean, you have to think about this as a second. Uh, sometimes we pass away uh, before the plan before what we thought we were going to achieve and and the way we were going to live. And, you know, those things matter a lot. And life insurance can be a part of it. Now, often life insurance is thought of as, well, when I have kids or a house mortgage, I totally agree. That is the main time to have life insurance, especially when it comes to having a family, right? You have little children, you have a spouse that stays at home, Uh, And usually, guys, it's us that die first. You know, I don't know if that's going to always be the case Uh, with women in the workforce uh, at a greater amount of uh, velocity and at the same time, at you know, more stressful jobs, because you you can't forget this, folks, the stressful jobs uh, part of life uh, that we as men receive at a much um, higher level. Right. Because that's, that's what we did. That could lead to death at a much sooner place, right? It could lead to problems when people pass away at, because of reasons that, uh, you know, we didn't know. So I need you to, to stay focused on it because life insurance is not just for the time frame when the kids are little, but it is necessary for that. What's my house mortgage? I want to make sure my kids don't lose their house and their dad. I want to make sure that my kids have a house and their mom at home. She might work part-time while they're in school. But if one of you, if one of you pass away and there isn't enough money for, for lifestyle, here's what happens. You lose the dad because he passed away, the mom because she's working two or three jobs, and the house because they can't afford a big house anymore. The entire stability of the kid's life is finished because you didn't plan properly. So maybe the home is almost paid off. Fantastic. Maybe 
you have an ability to have a, a, a job that has a 401k or you have investments. Great, no problem. That can be converted into income so that yesterday you were bringing in $8,000 a month. Tomorrow, your investments, your financial life, your 401k brings in $8,000 a month. Right? So we've swapped it out so you, you don't change the lifestyle too quickly. But however, what about life insurance after the kids are grown? Now you're in your 50s or your 60s or even your 70s. Do you still need life insurance? Isn't it expensive, Arif? It can be. You see, when you're young, I like term insurance. What does that mean? It means there's a term. 10-year, 20-year, 30-year. Okay, there's some 25s and 15s. But actuarially speaking, 10, 20, 30. Just think of it like that. That means for that period of time, as long as you have the right company and the right product, for that period of time, the cost never increases and the coverage never decreases. Okay, let me repeat that. If you have a, a million-dollar term in policy and it's a 30-year term, then for the next 30 years, whatever you pay today, you're going to pay in the 30th year. Whatever the coverage is, a million dollars, is what it will be in the 30th year. Because you're going to need time to pay off the house. You're going to need time for the kids to get out of college. And if they took out student loans, right, you know my thoughts on that. If they uh, have costs that they have uh, incurred and, and you've carried that debt, whatever it might be, and you're not here to pay it off, well, then life insurance can fill that void. And a term policy could be perfect for you. Okay, so what is a permanent plan? Well, a permanent plan is definitely more expensive. In other words, it costs more money per month, but it has a different purpose, right? A Ferrari is more expensive than a pickup truck, but try to help me move my house or my apartment or whatever, condo, with your Ferrari, right? One box at a time, very inefficient, not the right vehicle for the job. Doesn't mean it's a bad vehicle. It just means it's not the right vehicle for that job. Okay, so the term insurance plan and the whole life or the permanent plan, they're two different vehicles and they have different jobs. So I, I like it when people run around, they say, oh, this is bad and this is always good and never do this and always do that. I go, whoa, 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 wait a second. Let's be a bit more intelligent about these conversations here because we're missing a point. So what's the purpose of a permanent plan? Well, let me back up. A permanent plan is described as a whole life, universal life, variable universal life, indexed universal life. So the, the word in front of universal, so variable or fixed, right, means it's either in the stock market or it's not in the stock market. So if it's a variable universal life, then, it, then its components are part of the stock market. You will know that because you're starting to have some big problems right now as the market is really low and it took a big beating and the costs continue to come out of those policies. If they weren't built properly to begin with, then it may be exploding any day now. In, in other words, poof, all your money's gone. So a variable universal life could have problems that you didn't anticipate when the market reacts negatively, especially for a longer period of time, right? When we had 2000, when we had 2007, eight, a lot of those variable universal life policies were having some problems meeting the, the value. So we like permanent plans where there's some guarantees and there's some fixed and some consistency, predictability. So I like whole life plans if we want a smaller amount of coverage, meaning 20,000, 30,000, 40,000. The job of that money, let's say, is a burial policy. 
you'll often hear this. It's a burial policy, so I know I'm in my 60s or my 70s. I know when I die, my, I don't want to be a headache to my family. I want to be able to spend my money the way I want and not be worried that they're not going to have enough money to bury me. Okay, well then, perfect. Then that policy might just fit, fit good, right? A whole life policy. Because it's very inexpensive. It's very straight. Uh, it's very uh, um, predictable. I don't want to say inexpensive because it's a little bit higher than what you would think. But it always, always is the same. $50 a month, $500 a month, whatever the number is, it is, it is, it is. It's always the same, no matter what. Okay, when you have that as a policy, right, then you want to look at it and say, is this something that I need for the rest of my life? Because that's really what it's about. A whole life plan is literally your whole life. So you have to look at it and say, is this something I'm going to need for my whole life? Now, look, if the answer is yes, because it's part of your uh, your burial plans, then of course you need it for your whole life because we just don't know when you're going to die. So I don't want you to think this is something that is quick and easy and off you go because for most of you, it's nice to have somebody else not have to worry about paying for your bills. Now, what I see also along the way is sometimes I see these policies where people will borrow from them. Now you say, what does that mean? Well, you've put money in over all of these years and now you can borrow from it. And when you do, it's a tax-free withdrawal. That means the money that you've taken out of that account is tax-free. You can say, hey there, send me $500, send me $5,000 because it's a loan against the policy. So if you have a $30,000 policy and you've borrowed 10000 well, if you pass away, your family now gets twenty, because you've already taken out, you've already pre-withdrawn the, the $10,000, okay? So you need to know this so that you're not surprised. Your family is not surprised. When you pass away, right, you told them that it was a $30,000 policy that was going to cover everything. Oops, there's no money there. You've borrowed it all, or you've borrowed half. All right. Now, this is kind of a, a bit boring, but I need you to know this. There are some of you that are big believers that permanent policies are the only way to go. It's the best way, period. And some of you will hate it just like, you know, you, you steam comes out of your ears. You think they're bad and, and you think the only way to go is term. I get it. Both of you, I've been both of you. I'm going to explain to you, I hope, if you're open-minded to understand why the other one might have a purpose. Now, I spent a minute telling you about term insurance. Now, let me spend a minute telling you about the proper use of a permanent plan. All right. When you have a permanent life insurance, they are built. Right? Think of building blocks or pieces. I can put in as the advisor, the financial uh, professional, the life insurance agent, I can put in uh, your age, okay, right? There's some, there's some fixed things, but I can say he wants to put in a thousand a month. Okay. Well, how much of an insurance policy do I want? Give me the very minimum he can get. And they'll say, okay, he can have a hundred thousand dollar life insurance. Or I can click a box that say, give me the most amount of life insurance he can have. And they'll say, oh, he gets 500,000 in life insurance. So the 
the insurance agent person who clicks the button really can decide almost how much life insurance you get, even though you're putting in the constant, your age is constant, how much you want to put in per month is constant, and they get to decide the other end. Now, I, I pray that it's a conversation with you. That's how we do it. We look at the pros and cons. How much do we want to put in? Because here's what happens. The advisor or the financial agent, uh, life insurance agent, they are paid based on the amount of life insurance that you get, not on how much you put in. So in a permanent plan, it's different. In a permanent plan, it's how much life insurance did you put in? How much are you asking for? And that's where the cost comes in. Okay, (laughs) you need to know this. Because sometimes you'll put in your, your amount, and as you get older with a permanent plan, the cost of insurance is greater. And that means because you're closer to dying, it costs more money, which means if you didn't put it in or you're not earning interest there, it starts to eat up the policy. And surprise, you're 69 years old and you have no more life insurance. And all the money you've put in is wasted. Those are bad, in my opinion, bad permanent plans. They weren't built properly. They were built with um, somebody else in mind, usually the agent, the life insurance person, not you. When we build it, we build it differently. Here's what we do. We say, what's the purpose of this account? You say, well, what do you mean, Eric? Well, what's the job? You say, well, look, the job of this life insurance is to make sure that if I pass away, my wife and my grandkids have a house that's paid off, uh, they have money for emergencies, or I want it to go to this charity, whatever it might be. Because that helps answer half of the questions. The other half is, hey, what is the purpose of the cash value, the money that's inside of there? Because a permanent plan is made up of two, place, two pieces, life insurance and cash value. The cash value inside of these plans, the greater the amount of cost that's associated with the plan, it's directly related to how much life insurance you have. Have a lot of life insurance, higher cost. A lot of lower life insurance, lower cost. So you can add a certain amount of money. There's maximums and minimums there, but you can add a certain amount of money to this policy and its savings portion, it's, co- it's called a cash value. Its savings per- uh, portion in that account, believe it or not, that you can withdraw. And if done properly, if taken out in the right, you know, right amount, not too much, you can have it last for the rest of your life. It can be there to supplement your income for the rest of your life. You need to know this because if built properly, an, a, a life insurance policy through what I call a universal life policy is probably one of the better places to go for tax-free income, especially if you don't qualify for a Roth IRA, especially if you don't have a Roth 401k at work, especially if you need to have money for your um, uh, beneficiaries, right? These things happen a lot when you're trying to figure out your financial plan because all of these pieces come into play. How much do I have for emergencies? How much is in my savings account? How much money do I have in income, right? You've heard me talk about that with Dennis, with Larry, I mean, listen, I I can scream from the mountaintops. For you, it's about reliable retirement income, not something tied to some pension somewhere that may or may not be in business next year. 
right? Where the company, you see people, especially my friends that are union members. And now look, I was a shop steward. I was a union guy when I was a policeman. Uh, you know, my job was, was to go out and, uh, you know, organize the groups, go to the meetings for for many years. That was my job. I was one of the the union rep people. And my job was to advocate on behalf of us. But let's be clear. So many unions are against big corporations, but where do you think their pension is invested? Right? Where where do you think the assets that pay the Teamsters the EI, uh, IBEW, uh, Motion Picture, SAG, where do you think they put the money? Yeah, some of it's in real estate. Some of it's in government bonds. I get it, yep. But a huge part of it is in the stock market. So when they want to stand up and protest, oh, those greedy corporate whatever, and then they turn around and cash their check, or you're somebody like AOC who invests a big part of her money in the thrift savings plan as a congresswoman, right, and she invests in the same companies that she tells you are evil and dirty and ugly, Call them on this, you guys. Because part of your retirement lifestyle needs to, in my opinion, needs to be diversified. I don't want to count on the government pension. I don't want to count on Social Security. Right? Social Security is an annuity. Your pension is an annuity. So when folks run around and say, I hate annuities, you say, really? You're going to give back your, uh, your um, Social Security check each month? Of course not. So I want you to have reliable uh, retirement income that comes to you from many different sources. And that is what the life insurance policy can do for you. If you don't pass away and there's cash value, you get to use that for income. But here's one of the better parts of the story. If you are alive and you need medical care, usually chronic illness, critical illness, long-term care type assistance, you're allowed to withdraw money from this account. And it's based on the face amount. That means if you have a $500,000 policy, it's based on $500,000. In other words, you don't have to die to get $500,000. You can be alive and need it to help supplement some of your assisted living, long-term care, your critical illness, things like that. So today's permanent life insurance policies have a whole host of features that are different than the normal everyday quote, life insurance policy, and certainly not your dad's life insurance policy. Today's plans have a different feature, and it's that ability to access it for terminal illness, the ability to access it for long-term care. Okay, now, I know some of you have heard me talk about, because you've called and asked about it, what about selling my policy? What Can I sell my life insurance? I saw the advertisement on TV. Is that possible? Yes, it is. It is. But it's not something we would do for you. Okay, my expertise is not there. It's not where I would uh, put my money. Right? I, I don't know how to do it. So I wouldn't say, hey, come on over here. This guy will buy your life insurance policy. I know there are companies that do that. And they're very good at it. But it's not where I would put, it's not where I would tell you I'm an expert. Okay, it's not where, where my strengths are. Uh, unfortunately, you're going to have to do what everybody else does when you're trying to find an electrician or a plumber. You've got to ask around. You've got to Google it, Yelp, whatever you have to do. Uh, you know, I can give you some general guidelines of what to look for as far as quality, et cetera. But generally, you're going you're to have to do a lot of this heavy lifting on your own. If you want to sell your policy, it doesn't mean you have to. Not everybody does. And it may not fit for you. 
but at least know that it's an option. It isn't something that I want you to just forget about and move on down the road, right? It could be something that works for you. So as you're thinking about this, life insurance, you can have more than one policy. You can have one whose job it is to pay off the house. And when the house is paid off, you can let it go, especially if it's a term policy. When the kids are grown and on their own, have their own life, and you had an insurance policy to protect their college or to help them get started in life if you were not to be there, then no problem. You can cancel that policy. Back to what I said about selling it. You may be able to sell it, but that's something that I don't know much about. I want you to focus on that uh, on your own. However, just know that you should always be at least asking about it if you have an old policy before you cancel it. Okay. What about other parts and pieces of, of your financial life? You know, in your world, having life insurance policies on your children or your grandchildren, we see that a lot. Look, I have to be careful because I'm not a huge proponent of it, although sometimes people ask us to do it and we do. I need you to know what a life insurance policy is and what it isn't. You see, there are some things that have fees. Your broker charges a fee. That means you don't receive anything different. You don't have uh, anything extra in your account. You're not getting any extra benefits. All they're doing is they're charging you a fee for the same money that they charged you a fee on that they lost, that they made, and last year they charged you a fee on the same money that they charged a fee. In other words, they get to always win and you get to only win maybe sometimes one out of three market conditions, right? The market has to go up for you to win. And plus, last year when it went up, your broker never told you to sell. So what did you do? You just went up and higher fees and it went down, lower fees. But guess what? You still have fees. So I share that with you because in the insurance world, they have costs, not fees. Aha, Arif, you're the master of the English language. Well, thank you. I appreciate that. Shakespeare is first, I'm second. But after that, (laughs) I need you to know the difference between the cost and fees. Here's what it is. What you receive something for it, right? When you buy a new car and you drive it off the lot and you look at the statement, it says that you paid $40,000 for the car. Well, that's the car. You received a car. You you spent $40,000. That's the cost. What did you get back? A car. Oh, and it said, oh, by the way, you had registration and then licensing fee, which is usually double, right? Which is all baloney. Did you receive anything extra for the car? No, you didn't get tinted windows and, and better rims. You just drove away. You, that's a fee. The cost equals the car. So in the insurance world, you're going to spend money. You're going to, to invest, if you will, or, or save And you're going to buy a life insurance policy. When you buy it, there's a cost that goes with it. Meaning, what benefits do you receive? Well, tax-free withdrawal. Big deal. Taxes are on sale right now. You want to continue making a discounted uh, rate, if you will, today? Because I think in four or five years, they're going to raise taxes like nobody's business. Okay, so that's important. You know that. Because right now, taxes are on sale. So it's nice to put money into a place, taxed on it today, and never taxed on it again. So there's tax-free withdrawal. There's the obvious, which is a life insurance policy, and that is tax-free to your spouse or your beneficiaries, whomever it may be. Right? Where else can you put in uh, sorry, $50 a month and get $100,000 in a term policy? Right? I mean, what kind of business model is that? Uh, I'll give you... $50 a month and you give me uh, 100000 to my wife if I pass away. That's a, that's a great deal. 
well, for your wife, you have to die, but <laughs> for your family. So there's a, there's a trade-off there. In the cash value or the permanent side, what are the costs? Of course, a death benefit, tax-free withdrawal to your family. Uh, if, if you pass away, the life insurance is tax-free. What about the cash value to you, tax-free, and now the long-term care? I mentioned it earlier, but now you know that there's a cost associated with it. What is that cost? The cost is directly associated to the benefits. Critical illness, chronic illness, long-term care, nursing home, uh, assisted living issues, things like that. Each policy might be a little different, so I'm, I'm throwing a lot out there, but I want you to know the difference. Because in each one of the cases, you have to be prepared to, to ask, to look, to make sure what you're trying to do fits your goals. And remember at the beginning, I said that a life insurance policy like this is built. And really, it's trusting the ethics of the agent, the life insurance agent, the salesperson, the, the advisor, the financial professional, whomever they are, whatever title they carry. It's their responsibility to be clear to you. Okay? You need to know that because if it's built properly, well, then gosh darn it, you can have all that income tax-free. If it's built properly, then you know what? You can have the best insurance policy for your beneficiaries. You know, leave your 401k or your IRAs to charity and your life insurance to your, uh, your kids and your wife. That's a great way to pass money on, isn't it? All tax-free to everybody. Surprise. Estate doesn't pay income tax. Spouses and kids don't pay income tax. So there is a place for life insurance. If you have a question, give us a call. 888 retire That's 888-997-3847. 888-99-RETIRE. That's 888-997-3847. Hey, thanks for being with me. Love it when you're with me every morning on the Total Financial Hour. Love to talk with you this week. We're doing a lot of video appointments and phone appointments too. Whatever makes you feel more comfortable. I'm Eric Hallaby. On the Total Financial Hour on AM870, The Answer. Learn about financial power, the total 